Father, now we come to the most, I think, significant time of this worship service. We read your word, and we plead with you to speak to us. And speak to us, Father, not only to our encouragement, but if necessary, to strongly exhort or rebuke whatever it takes to change us, to make us the people that you want us to be. Namely, that we would be people who love people like Christ loved people. Lord, everyone in this room needs help with this. I need help with this. I need to change. Change me, oh Lord. May that be the prayer of every person sitting here, every child, every teenager. Change us, Lord. Make us a church in whom the love of Christ shines so brightly that the people who meet us and get to know our families and our church can conclude only one thing, that God is with us. And God has done this in us. Do it, Father, for your great glory and for our own great, great joy. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are back in 1 Corinthians once again, and it's a joy for me to finally get back to taking up this text. I think I've shared with you before that uh, when I launched into 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, after all of these years of um, studying the Word of God, I really had minimal expectations of what I would find here because so many people talk about the love chapter. And yet, it seemed with every phrase of this chapter, there has been precious value and precious truth, a veritable feast for my soul. And I hope it's been the same for you. And I trust it will be this morning as well as it has been for me this week. And so as we kind of launch into this, let me ask you a series of questions, which are all really just one question, verb, uh, kind of verbalized differently. And they go like this. Have you thought about heaven this week? Have you considered eternity this week? Have you taken any time to consider what it will be like to, be, to have been permanently rescued from the influence and temptation to sin? Have you considered the glory of seeing Jesus face to face with a mind that is completely and totally unencumbered by the world, the flesh, or the devil? to have a perfectly clear vision of God, of love, perfect love for people, and an an understanding of reality as God sees it? Have you thought about heaven this week? Have you thought about eternity this week? Have you thought about the day when you will see Christ face to face? Have you thought about eternity this week for the purpose of evaluating your life and your priorities now in the light of God's promises of future grace? Do the biblical promises of eternal life have any influence on how we live this momentary and temporal life? I was faced with these questions this week as I studied this passage that lays before us, because in it, Paul is calling the believers at Corinth to let God's promises have their intended effect. His promises of eternal grace 
in his presence, that they would have a, the intended effect upon our lives today. You do realize, do you not, that the book of Revelation was put in the Bible for a greater purpose than for our inventing eschatological charts. There's more there. In fact, God gave it to us for the purpose, in fact, several purposes, many purposes that are greater than simply our encouragement in the midst of difficulty, wisdom in a time of decision. The reality is, beloved, that God has revealed the future grace of heaven and all that it entails, not only to keep our hearts encouraged, but as a means of evaluating the values and the priorities that we hold today in this life. Like us, the Corinthians had completely missed this. And how often have I missed it? Even reading this text over and over, memorizing this text over and over since I was a child. The Corinthians were not living in light of eternity. God's promises of future grace were having little effect upon they were living and how they related to one another, in, even in the local church, let alone relating to people outside. Each person was concerned about edifying himself, blessing himself, impressing other people with himself. They were saved for eternity, yes, but they were living for the present, present comfort, earthly fame, selfish ambition were the ruling priorities. Even their understanding and usage of the spiritual gifts were earthbound and self-centered and needed to change. And the whole issue of, self, of, uh, of spiritual gifts is kind of the, the thing that Paul is dealing with here in the text in chapters 12, 13, and 14. But he deals with many issues throughout the book of 1 Corinthians at the root of which is the same problem. The same problem. The same heart issue. The same kind of idolatries. And so when Paul began writing in chapter 13, 1 Corinthians, he was determined to help these Corinthians see that spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts are useless if they are used for our own self-aggrandizement our own self-promotion, to bolster our posture in the body of Christ, or to uplift our own self-esteem. The spiritual gifts were for none of those purposes, and yet that's how they were being used in the church. And at the root of that problem was the same root as all of the other issues, their love of wisdom, their dividing up. I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. All of the divisions, the lawsuits with one another, the immorality that wasn't being disciplined, all of the issues that Paul deals with here in 1 Corinthians are, are stemming from the same root. It's just that the problem that he's currently dealing with was spiritual gifts. And he wants to correct their wrong thinking. And he's going to do that, I think, at least for our purposes to understand this text. I want to I give you three things. Number one, Paul wants, Paul wants to change their understanding of the gifts through the lens of eternity. He wants to give them a proper understanding of the gifts by using the lens of eternity. 
looking at the world, looking at, the re- at reality, not through the lens of the present, which is very, very small, but the lens of eternity, which is very, very big, and cast a whole different light upon the reality in which we live. And so look with me in verses 8 through 10, 1 Corinthians 13. Here we go. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. The partial will be done away. The first thing we need to point out here in the text, let's just, let's just get this behind us, shall we? The first thing we need to point out is that Paul is not addressing nor attempting to settle the debate about spiritual gifts. The big question we have today is, have the gifts of miracles and tongues and healing ceased, or do they continue into present day from the time of the apostles? Do we hold to cessationism? Cessationism? I always get that word wrong, and that one too. (laughs) Do we hold to cessationism or continuationism, non-cessationism? And this is the big debate. And everybody who debates this comes to this text, and they try to define that which is perfect, and what does that mean? Huge debates over that. Shouldn't be. And you know what? Um, That is, at best, secondary to this text. Maybe, maybe not even secondary. Paul is not trying to solve that debate. There was no debate in his age. All of the gifts were in force. The question is about our time. Paul wasn't speaking about our time. He was speaking about this timeless problem that was happening in the church, namely self-centeredness and lack of love for other people. So when we come to this text and we we look into these familiar uh, phrases and verses that we always hear about in context with the debate of cessationism or non-cessationism, continuationism. Um, That's all we know about this text. And so, beloved, let's just put this behind us right now. Paul isn't the least bit concerned about that debate. He doesn't care. It never crossed his mind when he was writing this. Now, as you know, I am more of a cessationist today than I was before I started studying 1 Corinthians. But Paul is not attempting to settle that issue. He has something completely different in mind. In fact, it's so different that for the rest of this message, I'm not even going to mention that issue again. It'll be hard. (laughs) But I don't think that's what he's talking about. Clearly, the Apostle Paul is addressing the issue of spiritual gifts. That's what this whole context, 12, 13, 14, is all about. He began talking about it in chapter 12. He will not complete his his thinking on this until somewhere in the middle of the end of 14. But what Paul Paul is saying about them, he's saying that the Corinthians completely misunderstand the purpose of the gifts. Their use of the gifts, the Corinthians' misuse of the gifts was causing serious division in the church. And the reason they were misusing them is because they had a root problem. It's almost shocking 
when you see Paul addressing this problem beginning with verse 1 of chapter 13. He basically says in the first four verses, look at them if you will, I, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but did not have love, I become a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing and if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nada. Nothing. It's shocking. Paul is basically saying in these first four, three verses that you may be the greatest tongue speaker in the world. You may speak every single language there is, able to go to any country to preach the gospel. doesn't matter. You just switch languages, switch languages. Or not only the greatest tongue speaker, you may be the greatest prophet preacher that has ever lived. Or you may be the most magnanimous philanthropist who has ever lived. Or even in addition to you may have been the most noted Christian martyr in all church history. And when your body was tied to that stake and you were burned, the world promised it would never forget. The church promised it would never forget. And they haven't. And yet, all of that can be true of you. And in God's eyes, you're a spiritual zero. Worthless, nothing, if you don't love people. That's staggering. That's not why we go to seminary. We don't go to seminary to learn to love people. In fact, sometimes seminary is one of the most unloving places you'll ever go. We don't go there to learn to love people. We don't study theology, usually, to love people. And to that extent, to the extent that's true, and we're wrong. Our theology is aborted before it has produced what God intended his truth to produce. Paul says, the goal of our instruction is love. If you have a church that is unloving, then something is wrong with the teaching, I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Because the goal of our instruction is love. This is shocking. You can be, here's what Paul is saying, you can be the most gifted person. You can be reverend multi-gift. <laughs> but if you don't have love, you're worthless. You're worthless. And then watch this in verses 4 through 7. Paul reveals 15 characteristics of what true love is and calls us to love like that. He explains that as followers of Christ, our lives should be marked by long-suffering and kindness without jealousy or pride or arrogance or any unbecoming behavior, etc. You know the list. This is the, these are the characteristics that mark a loving person. It's not the definition of love. These are the characteristics, the manifestations of love. Love is to give whatever you have that someone else needs because God wants you to. To love is to give. We've said this over and over again. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave. Ephesians chapter 5. 
Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. We can go text after text after text. To love is to give, not to feel. Your feelings may or may not be a reflection of true love. To love is to give whatever you have that they need because God wants you to. And Corinthians totally missed that, and we do too. But now, beginning in verse 8, here's Paul giving offering, correction on love. You can be as gifted as, as any person in the world has ever been and still be a zero if you don't love. Here are the characteristics of love. Measure yourself against them. And now he's going to tell us one more thing about love. Beginning uh, with verse 8, Paul's explaining something about love that the Corinthians and perhaps us never thought about, never considered. And I've got to be honest with you, I, I never thought about this. I never really caught what Paul was saying until this week. And this is what he says. You ready for this? Love never, what? Fails. Love never fails. Or the ESV says, love never ends. That's a better translation. Love never ends. The word for fails here, or ends, means to fall, as in falling apart or disintegrating. It's related to the word demise. In other words, the need to express love, the mandate to express love, and the power to express love to others, to give to others whatever it is that you have that they need because God wants you to, will never end. Will never end. There will never be a time when you are not called upon and empowered to love. As long, are you listening? Listen to this. As long as there is God. That's pretty long. As long as there is God, there will be love. As long as there is God, we will be required and empowered to love. Someday, we will enter into eternity. And the change we experience in that moment will be almost universal. Almost universal. And by that I mean almost every experiential reality that we have in this life is going to be radically transformed or completely done away with. Almost everything. For example, temptation to sin, gone. Gone. World, flesh, devil, gone. No more influence on my life. My own heart, purified. My ability to, to worship God, perfect. I've never experienced anything like that. Never. Not even in my best times of personal revival in my heart. Never. When the perfect comes, when I see Jesus Christ face to face, it will be unlike anything I've ever experienced. So much will change. So much will change. This is astonishing, brothers. Think about this. Someday the role of preacher, prophet, it's going to be over. Um, how long do, do I expect? expect to be employed as a pastor 
before I retire. Until the perfect comes and then I'm unemployed. And there are other professions, by the way, doctor, nurse, dentist, sorry. You're out of work when the perfect comes. No need for you anymore. No disease. But more importantly, the prophet, the preacher, his job is over. And the gift of prophecy, he clearly says this. Look at this, verse 8. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. It's over. It's over. Likewise, the gift of tongues cease. Moreover, if there is knowledge. Okay, now, is he talking about the gift of knowledge? I think that's irrelevant. Their love of knowledge, Sophia, wisdom, their, their Greek propensity toward pursuing philosophy, love of wisdom, has propelled them to come up with ideas about reality that just, that just aren't true. Think about it. Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, all before the Apostle Paul. They were all before the Apostle Paul. I remember teaching philosophy uh, in my worldview class, and I, uh, I used to teach teenagers here, and hopefully someday will again. Um, they, were, they were getting really confused about all the different philosophers and their philosophies. And so one day I got up. I think I've told you this before. One day I got up before the class, and I said, okay, let me make this easy for you about the philosophers. All you need to know, they're all wrong. Every one of them to the extent that their vision of reality and truth is inconsistent with Scripture, they're wrong. Class dismissed. Someday philosophy will be over. Wisdom, over. Knowledge, the gift of knowledge or their understanding of knowledge, over. Why will that happen? Look at verse 10. Here's why. Because we know how, in part, and we prophesy how, in part. Now, this is the apostle writing. We prophesy in part. In other words, our knowledge comes to us how? Piece by piece. Nobody gets all the knowledge there is at once. No one gets it all. We get it precept upon precept, truth upon truth, line upon line, little bit, little bit, little bit here, little bit there. And I don't know about you, but I know in my own mind, as I'm getting truth, I'm also losing truth. I had a school teacher told me I had a brain like a colander. Just everything just kind of went through. I had to keep pouring it in. Maybe some of it will stick the amazing Teflon brain. You know, nothing sticks. I'm losing it. Maybe, I hope, not as fast as I'm gaining it. But here's the deal. Even what I do gain, I'm only getting piece by piece by piece. Nobody gets all knowledge. That was the point of his hyperbole back in the beginning of this chapter. He says, if uh, in verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, you love knowledge? If you had all knowledge but don't love people, you're worthless to the kingdom of God. 
And then one day, when the perfect comes, that broken piece by piece knowledge, it's gone. It's gone. It's something that builds up over time. It comes to us a little bit and a little bit and a little bit, and we grow in knowledge. We grow in knowledge. And sometimes we find out that some of the knowledge that we've gleaned is error, and it needs to be extracted, but then new pieces come, and it comes to us piece by piece. It comes to us in fragmentary ways. And the same is true of prophecy. This is astounding. The same is true of prophecy. God has given us his revelation That that is, everything that he wants us to know, he has given to us in a fragmented, piece-by-piece manner. Listen, Job may be the first man on earth who got direct communication with God that was written down in the book of Job. Guess what? Everybody who read the book of Job had no other revelation of God. There was no 1 Corinthians. It came piece by piece, part by part. Martin Luther, whose birthday was this week, this week, 528 years old, I think. That's old. Um, he called this the patchwork. It's like, it's like making a patchwork quilt. And so you sew one piece on, you sew another piece on, you sew another piece on, you make a mistake, you pull that one off, you throw it away, put another piece on, put another piece on, put another. This goes on for years and years and years, and you find out that the pieces that you put on in the beginning are starting to deteriorate. That's the way our knowledge is. What's Paul saying? You are so proud of your knowledge. And yet, in reality, the knowledge that you have has come to you piece by piece, and some of it isn't even true, and some of the good stuff you're even losing. You forget some of the things that I've taught you already. And the same is true as prophe- with prophecy. It's given to us piece by piece, a little here and a little there, but listen, here's the point. When the perfect comes, the partial be done away with. Getting knowledge piece by piece by piece, that's over. We don't get knowledge piece by piece anymore. We don't get it precept by precept. We don't get it in a patchwork kind of way, a fragmentary way. When the perfect comes, what is the perfect? What is perfection? The Greek word here means completion or wholeness or the accomplishment of a final goal, namely God's final goal. It is a reference to the time when our hope will become sight, when the clouds, as it were, will be rolled back like a scroll. It is a day when the trump of God will sound and the Lord will descend and eternity with God will begin for all who believe. That's the perfection. That's the perfection. Paul speaking of the promised eschatological future, the great and terrible day of the Lord, when God passes final judgment upon the earth and makes all things new. It is a day that lasts many, many days. It is the day of the Lord. On that day, imperfection will be abolished 
and with it our piece by piece obtaining of knowledge. On that day, whatever spiritual gifts were left in use before that day, up to that day, will be useless. Are you following his train of thought? You are so proud of your spiritual gifts. And some were saying, some today are saying, well, listen, it's not all the gifts. Some of these gifts are no more. And I agree with that. But a lot of the gifts are in place. And you can be just as proud as those non-miraculous gifts as you are with the miraculous gifts, as they were the tongues and the healing and all of that stuff. And here's what Paul is saying. There is coming a day when all of the gifts will become irrelevant. Irrelevant. There ain't going to be any more prophecy anymore. There's not going to be any speaking in tongues anymore. There's not going to be any miracles anymore. No signs, no wonders. There's not going to be a, a gift of helps anymore or leadership administration. None of that is going to be needed anymore. It's gone. When the perfect comes, gone. It's gone. The church isn't going to need any help. You will be perfect even as he is perfect. On that day, whatever the spiritual gifts were in use, when that day came, they're gone. But here's the thing. What will happen, what will happen to all of the gifts on that day will have no impact upon love. Love never fails. Get that? Love will never fail. Where there's prophecy, it's going to fail. It's going to be done away. Tongues, done away. It'll just cease, actually. The word there is just cease. It's just going to cease of itself. Knowledge, gone. At least the piece-by-piece piece kind of knowledge, gone. All that stuff is gone. Love, never. Never. What's the implication of that? The implication is, why are you exalting these things that are fallible and are going to be done away with on that day? And you're, you're so good with the gifts. You, you're, you're almost mastering the gifts, or at least trying to, but you stink at love. That's what Paul's saying. You stink at love. You wouldn't know love if it were gift-wrapped and sent to you on Christmas morning. You don't have a clue. But the reality is, your understanding of reality is backwards. Those gifts have their place in their time, in a very specific way in the church that we'll talk about in chapter 14. However, they are secondary, and one day they're gone. But the one thing that will remain is love. He's telling the Corinthians that their value system is all mixed up. What they value is giftedness because it brings a person honor, prestige, and influence. And they value all of this even though they produce conflict and disunity in the church. And if we're not careful, beloved, we can fall into the same error. Paul's trying to help us see that the only thing that carries over into eternity will not be our giftedness, our position, or our popularity. The only thing that will carry over on that day is our love. The problem was the Corinthians had a very temporal value system. And Paul is holding up the lens of eternity to help them and us see 
what they should really value, and what they should really strive for. And that is the greater master, not a, not a greater mastery of the gifts, but a greater capacity to love people and love God. And so first, he wants them to understand, he wants to give them an understanding that the gifts, what they really are through the lens of eternity, look through the lens of eternity and come to your understanding of the gifts that way. Second, he wants them to gain wisdom through the lens of eternity. He wants them to gain wisdom. Look at verse 11. <laughs> this is great. He says, when I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. These two verses hardly, or this one verse, hardly needs explaining, does it? Paul's accusing them of being spiritually immature in their thinking about spiritual gifts. But notice how he's kind of subtle about this. He doesn't come out with a direct accusation. He points to himself. I remember what it was like. I remember when I was a child, like you are. I remember when I was a baby Christian. And I spoke like a child, and I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. My thinking was kind of all messed up. And it wasn't necessarily that it was so wrong as it was just so, so narrow. I had no idea what the scope of reality really was. I remember when I was a babe in Christ, how I used to form opinions like a little boy. I was thinking about this this week. I remember one, my two oldest boys were young. We moved here. Josh was four, Andy was two. Shana was two weeks. And uh, for my two older boys, you know what reality consisted of? Two things. Happy Meals and Legos. Legos. Happiness is in a Happy Meal and a new set of Legos. Legos are, can double as landmines if you leave them on the carpet in the dark. There's all kinds of things you can do with Legos. You can build things. You can throw them. You can eat them. <laughs> Legos and Happy Meals. I mean, that was the breath of, their, of what their world consisted of. It was a very narrow view. Their opinions were formed based on whether they were going to be able to eat something good or play with something good. And if you get in the way of my eating something good... I'm going to pitch a fit. I mean, not that they ever did. <laughs> and if you get in the way of my game, or if you wreck my Lego airplane, my car, I'm going to beat the fire out of you. That's unjust. And there's a lot of that going on. You know why it was that way? It's because their reality, their vision of reality was like looking through the knothole of a fence. It's only about that big. It's only about that big. 
And that's what, that's what Paul's saying to the Corinthians. Your problem is you don't have an eternal perspective. You are looking through the knothole of your own selfish opinions and ideas. And you know what God wants to do? He wants to bring the bulldozer in and knock down the fence. He doesn't want to give you a bigger hole. He wants to knock down the fence so you can see reality for what it really is. I remember what it was like to be a child. He used to speak like a child and think like a child and reason like a child, and that's what you're doing. You think your, your spiritual gifts, your spiritual gifts, without love, nothing but Happy Meals and Legos. That's all it is. You're play-acting. You're fighting. You're complaining over what? Any adult looks at that and says, it's nothing. It's plastic. It's, it's hamburger, not even good meat. Their opinions were formed on their own selfish values. Paul says, I remember what it's like to be like that. I used to be like that. I used to be like that. But I didn't stay like that. He writes, when I became a man, I did away with childish things. What are the things? The way of speaking, thinking, and reasoning. Paul saying, when I came to understand something of what it will be like to stand in the presence of God someday, suddenly my whole worldview changed. My foolish, selfish way of thinking was replaced by God's wisdom, the wisdom of seeing myself in the light of eternity, which is why I asked the first initial question, did you think about heaven this week? You think about what it's going to be like that day when you stand in his presence. What will you reflect on your life? What will your reflection on your life be on that day? Will you say, I'm so glad I lived like that? Or will you say, what was I thinking? Why did I live like that? Why did I make those decisions when clearly God has revealed in his word I should, word, I should be living like this? Why was I so self-centered? Why didn't I love people well? Suddenly, Paul's ambition to be the greatest Pharisee who ever lived seemed like foolishness to him. Suddenly, his desire to persecute the church and kill Christians looked like foolishness. Suddenly, his status, his status as a Jewish descendant of Benjamin and an impeccable lawkeeper appeared to him to be nothing but a self-made pile of dung. Poo-poo. Excrement. What's the Greek word? Scubala. Read Philippians 2. That's what Paul says. The whole world turned upside down. I realized what a fool I had been all of these years because God smashed the fence I was looking through and opened up eternity. For the Corinthians, it was a childish view of spiritual giftedness. For you and me, it may be a childish view of attaining money or possessions. 
It may be a childish view of being accepted by someone or by others in general or being loved and respected by your spouse. Paul is saying, don't you realize those are childish priorities? Those are childish priorities. When the perfect comes, none of that is going to have any value. You're not going to say, wow, am I glad I demanded more respect. You're going to go, why did I waste my time with that? You're not going to say, wow, I wish I had decorated my house a little better. You're going to say, why did I waste so much time on that? Don't you realize these are childish priorities? When the perfect comes, none of that is going to matter. It will all be useless, and we will have regretted living for those things. Paul's saying, come on, it's time to put away childish thinking. It's time to put away your childish reasoning, which, which gives birth to childish speaking, which has resulted in all of these conflicts in the church. It's time to set aside the old selfish way of thinking and begin va- evaluating your life from the perspective of eternity. Because on that day, the only two things that will matter are these. Did I love God with all my heart? Did I love the people that he put in my path? At least those are going to be the main things. The truly mature are not necessarily the ones who achieve celebrity status because of their giftedness. The truly mature are men and women who are mastering the art of how to love people. And beloved, that's why, I mean, that's been the message of all of this in chapter 13. It's also the reason that after every service, we encourage you to find someone in the church to pray with before you leave. Just grab someone. Say, how can I pray for you? To love is to give. Pray for them. Encourage them. Use some scripture with them. Tell them you'll call them. Or maybe don't tell them you're going to call them in the week. Just call them. So Paul wants us to understand gifts through the lens of eternity. And he wants us to gain wisdom through the lens of eternity. Which will result in, number three, establishing priorities through the lens of eternity. And so here we go, verse 12. It's important that we observe here before we read it that there is a now and then theme in these two verses. 